the middle of nowhere is where a bunch of scary things happen. No, this isn't Courage the Cowardly Dog. These are allegedly true, creepy stories from viewers just like you. Welcome back to the swamp, and welcome if you're new, my friends. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true middle of nowhere horror stories. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Now, be sure to hit the subscribe button if you're new and like the video and get ready for some creepy and allegedly true horror stories that'll keep you up tonight. If anyone has ever seen the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia before, this is the exact area where this event occurred. I literally had to drive by their house on the way. Hank Williams III also wrote a song about it called Boone County Blues, which really captures the essence of the depressing, drug-consumed area. I worked as a lab technician for an independent company. I would run an analysis on coal samples to determine the quality. Ash, sulfurs, whatever, things of that nature. Part of the job was driving company pickup trucks to various coal mines, train loadouts, and river docks to draft barges and collect samples. We got a call at around 2am to go pick up a training sample over in an incredibly remote area in the middle of nowhere. It was a mine, and the mine was miles away from absolutely anything. To get there, I had to drive across a place called Williams Mountain, home of Jesco and all the other whites. It's a notoriously steep, curvy, and dangerous mountain, with a very high rate of accidents. I made it to the mine and collected the sample without incident. After about 15 minutes of driving, I started back up the steep mountain. Having made the trip numerous times, I could take the curves fast, especially when it's pitch dark, and you can see headlights approaching you. The nearest stoplights, stop signs, or street lights are a good 30 miles away, so it's a different kind of dark. The complete darkness just perfectly compounds the isolation. It was because I was driving so fast that I was completely caught by surprise when it appeared that there was a vehicle quickly catching me. I started speeding up, but before I knew it, they had caught up with me. When they got close, they turned on their high beams, and I could tell it was a truck from the height of the lights. But the bright lights had me somewhat blinded. It was then when the terror really began. They started edging closer and closer until they were right up on my ass. It didn't matter how fast I went, they stayed right up on me. Suddenly, they stopped in the road and killed the headlights, completely weirded out, and rattled to my core. I took a huge sigh of relief and started laughing nervously as they dropped from sight. Thinking it was just some idea of a cruel joke, never had I been so ready to see that city skyline. Not too long after, and to my complete and utter horror, the lights started quickly climbing the mountain once again. Frantic, I punched the gas, almost wrecking twice trying to flee, but it was no use. Again, the bright lights filled up my mirrors and simultaneously filled my heart with fear and absolute dread. They would back off a little bit, then get extremely close, repeating this over and over until they finally rammed me twice. The second time was hard enough to make me swerve, though thankfully, I was able to ride it out. I should note that there is nowhere to pull off while traversing the mountain, just guardrails on either side and drop-offs wherever the rails are missing. There's only one little church on a wide spot of the road, so I tried to pull over to let them pass. I put on the signal and turned off, 
but my pursuers turned off as well and killed their lights. I ducked down but tried to watch for any movement. Nothing. Two or three minutes probably goes by, and I made my mood to frantically peel out. To my unimaginable relief, they didn't pull out, but I wasn't convinced it was over. Sure enough, the lights approached once more, though this time it was accompanied by a sound. An unmistakable gut-wrenching sound of gunshots. I'd heard the term hyperventilate, but at that moment I discovered the full force of its meaning. Barely able to breathe, I ducked down as low as I could and started reciting a nonsensical plea for help. This was before cell phones were popular, but to this day, service is non-existent there. The bullets rang out like a soundtrack for my misery, and all I could do was just think at that moment if I would ever see my loved ones again. Time is truly subjective. It felt as though I was on the mountain for days, but I finally reached the end, eventually saw a few houses, and immediately pulled into the first I could. The truck didn't turn down the driveway, but lingered in the road, with the headlights off. After a couple of minutes, a porch light came on and the truck did a donut, and started back up the mountain. A man emerged from the home, but I left as soon as the truck's lights were out of sight. I yelled sorry out of the window, and drove like a reckless lunatic the rest of the way. I did end up getting pulled over for speeding on the highway. I didn't even attempt to explain, as I figured it was a small price to pay, all things considered. Obviously, I never entertained the idea of ever making that run again, and my boss started collecting samples in the daytime only for that sight. The mountains of West Virginia are incredibly beautiful, but there's also a lot of danger lurking in the depths of their remote location. Places that inspire movies like Wrong Turn. Places where no one can hear you scream. Although what I'm about to tell you may sound like one of your run-of-the-mill horror movies, I swear by the validity of it, what I saw. It all started on a very hot July day this past year. My car is almost 20 years old and sometimes overheats on hot days, just like this one. However, until I got a better paying job, it's the car I'm stuck with. This day, I was driving through the back roads looking for a family of dog breeders a friend had told me about. I'd been searching for the place for several hours and was approaching the warmest part of the day. As per usual, my car began overheating and I was forced to pull over for some time. I picked up my phone to call my girlfriend only to see that my battery was dying. After I spent a couple of minutes cussing my luck, I acknowledged that I was going to have to find someone with a working phone. That wasn't going to happen unless I started walking. Soon I spotted an old farmhouse off in the distance and headed toward it. A trip that would have taken an hour on a normal day took almost an hour and a half because of the oppressive heat. I had to take several breaks during the journey, but eventually I did make it. The area around the house looked more like a junkyard than anything else. Parts of old cars spread about and I had to weave through a maze of them to even reach the front door. I knocked on the door for several minutes but got no answer. Thinking that the homeowner may be hard of hearing, I walked around and investigated the windows hoping to see someone inside. At the side of the house I spotted a telephone hanging on the wall, just inside the kitchen. Now that I knew there was a phone there I became excited and started calling out for someone. Even though, after walking all the way around, no reply came, I was about to give up until I saw a woman lying on the bed. I very nearly banged on the window to try and get her attention but I figured that that may scare her. So I went back to the front door and let myself in. In hindsight, 
that was just as scary and probably not a smart move on my end. Before I entered, however, I took a piece of paper from a notebook I carry with me and wrote out a note explaining what I was doing there. Even then, I called out several times as I approached the bedroom. Still no answer came, and I continued toward the bedroom. The closer I got to the woman, the more her appearance began to unnerve me. She was lying flat on her back and staring blankly at the ceiling. I had initially believed she was watching the television that was turned on in one of the rooms, but her eyes sat completely still. Regardless, I got closer, and once I was within a few steps, handed her the note. When the note touched her hand, she didn't react. This caused me to get closer, and this was when I realized something was very wrong. Her face had a very dry, almost mummified look to it. The hair was a vibrant black, a color not often seen on older females. She had to have known I was there by that point, but her eyes stayed fixed. This is what caused me to lean over to look in her eyes. Rather than being slightly bloodshot or moist looking like most people's, they had a shiny, glassy appearance, like they were fake. Despite this, not until I touched her did I know for sure that she was dead. I realized that perhaps she was a mannequin rather than a human, so I reached down to her bare hand. The texture of her skin was dry, but stone cold to the touch. The oddity of this was just beginning to really sink in when a loud creaking noise came from behind me. Without a second thought, I tore out of there and ran back down the road in the direction of my car. Within a half of a mile, I ran into an older man in a truck, and he agreed to give me a ride back in the town. I said nothing about my experience to him, and any time he attempted to make small talk, I said as little as I possibly could. He let me borrow his phone to call my girlfriend, and she agreed to meet us at a gas station on the edge of town. When he let me out there, I thanked him, and he went on his way. Once I was safely inside my girlfriend's car, I borrowed her phone to call the police. I hadn't even told her about it yet, so the look of shock on her face as I described what I saw showed me what my expression likely was at the time I discovered it. The cops said they'd send a car out to the house and check out my claims. I called a wrecker next to pick up my car. The police never called me back, so after waiting three days, I called to inquire about the body they found. It took a few minutes to find a person aware of my call, but once I did, the officer said that he and his partner searched the entire property and found nothing out of the ordinary, especially not a mummified woman. I thanked them and hung up. What happened after I fled, I can only guess. The noise behind me was probably the owner of the home, and he had hit the woman's body, knowing that the cops were likely to be called. To tell you the truth, I'm not sure what I saw in that house on that bed. I am positive that I saw a human laying on that bed, but that's all. More than once I've been tempted to grab a camera and return to that house to get proof of my claims, but fear of the unknown and what else would be waiting for me if I did has stopped me. If the nightmare of her soulless eyes continue, however, I may have no other choice. During the early 2000s, when I was attending law school, I worked nights delivering pizza for one of the national chains. I had done something similar when I was younger and attending my local community college. Anytime I found myself sorely in need of quick cash, that was the avenue I would choose. Despite the many stories I have heard questioning the safety of the job, I never had a single run-in with a thief. I'm sure back in the early days it could be a little dangerous, but by the time I joined the game, companies had learned that implementing practices such as limiting the driver to $20 lowered the chance of holdups drastically. Even though I was never a victim of a robbery, I did have one or two scary incidents that I could write about. 
The worst of these happened to me back in the 2000s. I was very familiar with the city I was living in at the time. Moving there after junior college and delivering for several places over the last five years had me intimate with almost every nook and cranny of the place. However, one evening, I would be called to an address that I nor any of the other drivers ever knew existed. When the order came in, I went straight to the map to find the address, but it was not there. Not even the GPS on my phone showed it. We didn't have a no delivery area at the time, so I had to take it despite of my misgivings. Theoretically, the place I was supposed to be would have existed if the road continued for 10 more blocks. So I turned on said road a block before its ending and followed it south. Sure enough, a newly paved road began to show where the old one should have ended. For what seemed like miles, I continued on this new section of road. Nothing stood out on either side of it, and I didn't pass another car the entire time. How the state managed to build it without a single report of its creation leaking to the media had me bewildered. The five years I had been driving all over the city, I had never known this part existed. In one way, I was very excited seeing all of it, like a Victorian explorer tracing the source of the Nile. But at the same time, a deserted road popping up out of nowhere gave me a chill down my spine. It must have been a good ten minutes before the house in question appeared in the distance. I couldn't understand why someone would build a house out here in the middle of nowhere, with no real way to reach it. When I got closer, I could see the house had to at least be 50 years old or more, and probably hadn't been repaired since then. No cars were around for a moment. I thought the house was abandoned, but I could see the front door wide open behind the rickety old screen. Everything looked to be above board, so I grabbed the pizza and headed to the front door. I knocked on the screen, but got no answer. I could see what appeared to be a young female walking around the kitchen. When I knocked a second time, I heard a female voice say to come in. Despite my reservations, I stepped just inside the house and waited in the small foyer. I'd learned from the other drivers early on not to enter an unfamiliar house, but I had yet to see anything to concern me. I assumed the woman would be coming out soon to pay me. Instead, I overheard an unseen man whisper, Call him into the kitchen. When I heard that, I fled from the place as fast as I could. I was so freaked out, I got back to the restaurant in half the time it took me to get to the house. After I told my boss what had just occurred, he called the police. All the excitement had me rattled, so my boss sent me home for the day. My phone rang a few hours later. It was the police, and they'd called to let me know what they had found. Whoever had been there was gone now. Even though the place had more than likely been abandoned for a while, they did find evidence that people had just recently been inside. This was stuff my boss had already told them. However, they did shed some light on where the road came from and why the house was the only building on the otherwise deserted area. The state had been trying to purchase the land that now sat on a new section of road for quite a long time, I think like 20 years, but the landowner did not want to sell. They even tried to use eminent domain to get it, but a judge blocked it. Around two years before the owner passed and his children finally sold the land to the state, they were so happy to get the land after that time that the construction on the road started immediately. It technically had yet to be formally opened, but locals had already began using it anyway. This was good to know, but I still wondered how two people knew about the empty house sitting out in the middle of nowhere. This was something the officer didn't know. We can only assume they drove past it and decided this would be a good place, as any, to ambush a delivery driver. Even $20 is a good score if you're desperate enough. He said from personal experience, people had killed for much less. The officer left me with one good piece of news, though. 
the county had slated the old house to be demolished in the coming week, so no other poor delivery driver would be let out there to be robbed or worse. Two days later I was driving down the brand new road which I was now using as a shortcut across town and witnessed the house's destruction. A load was being lifted from the shoulders right before my eyes. Never again would I enter a customer's home or deliver to an area which I was not well versed. Perhaps in the future, I'll share my other story. While not as harrowing, it was still scary nonetheless. This had to have happened sometime in the early 2000s. The exact year escapes me. My husband was still spending most of his time on the road working for one of the major insurance companies at the time. As a result of this, myself and our young daughter spent most of our days alone. A few years prior, we had purchased a new home on a somewhat isolated piece of land, and the journey between town and home could often be harrowing, especially at times of heavy rain. It was the middle of nowhere. Most of the last five miles of the road that led to the house was nothing more than loose gravel, and wasn't very wide, for that matter. My daughter and I found ourselves stuck on this part of the road on a bad night. I did all I could to keep our old Subaru on the road, but the rain made visibility almost impossible. It wasn't long until I misjudged the one curve and ended up in a ditch. Fortunately, my husband had the foresight to sign us up for one of those roadside assistant programs. I contacted them and was told that the weather was keeping them busy, but they would get to us as soon as possible. Not knowing how long we would be stuck there, I made my daughter as comfortable as I could and waited. The rain stopped soon after and I was now able to see how far away from home we were. I estimated it was only about two and a half miles to the house and considered walking, until remembering no one was at home to retrieve the car later. Help was on its way, so I could wait. Within ten minutes of the accident, I could see headlights of a truck coming toward us and began to get excited. However, it didn't turn out to be a tow truck. Instead, it was an older man driving a rusty pickup. When he saw my car, he slowed down and investigated it. As he passed, I thought he was about to offer to pull us out, but he continued down the road. I didn't think anything of it at the time, but five minutes later, the rusty pickup truck approached us coming from the other direction at a very slow speed. He stared at me once again as he passed, even making eye contact with me briefly, but didn't stop. Things were beginning to look odd, but I thought maybe he was lost and turning around to return to the highway. He wasn't obligated to help. Perhaps he thought I was parked instead of stuck. He probably wasn't from around here and just was trying to get home like I was. Things didn't start to get scary until I noticed the same truck coming toward us for a third time. It had quickly gotten completely dark by this point, and most women I know feel much less safe when the sun goes down. This situation did not make things feel any less sketchy. He did his usual, by now, slow drive-by. What was different this time was that he had stopped the truck after he had passed and did a quick three-point turn in the road. He was now facing us again, stopped about ten yards away. Rather than get out and come over to offer aid, he sat in the cab and watched for a few minutes. Only now did he open the door and begin to get out of the truck. Almost as soon as he hit the pavement, a pair of headlights appeared in the other direction. The man stayed where he was, watching and waiting for a minute before it was close enough to see it was a wrecker. Once he saw this, he jumped back into his cab and made a U-turn and sped away from us. My heart was stuck in my throat as I watched this play out, and not until I could read the name of the company on the side of the tow truck could I begin to relax. 
The tow truck driver didn't hesitate to pull his truck in front of us, hook up my car, and I was finally confident that they were there to help. I got out to thank him. He had us out of the ditch in just a few minutes and we were on our way. For the remainder of the journey, I kept my eyes open for the rusty truck, and even as I drove up our drive, I feared I would see him setting in wait. Luckily, he was not, though, and happily I got my daughter out and into the house. When my husband returned from his latest trip, I told him about what had happened during the last storm, but I left out the part with the strange truck. I knew it would only make him more stressed when he was away, and at the time he had no other choice but to continue his trips. Because of this latest trouble, he went out of the way and purchased an almost all-new Jeep with a 4x4 transmission for me. I was over the moon to get it, and I never got stuck again, even on the muddy parts of our property. It didn't take long for the stranger in the rusty truck to pass from my mind. However, for the next two weeks I caught myself looking for it any time I was on that stretch of road. I had almost completely forgotten about the incident, until just recently, when I saw a truck just like it at the store. It, of course, was not the same one, but it caused me to freak out a little bit. It caused all those memories to come flooding back and motivated me to write this. Fortunately, in the preceding years since then, the county has paved and widened the roads and my wonderful husband gets to come home to us every single night. So I am a 39-year-old female, and many moons ago, sometime between the ages of 15 and 17, when it was still the 90s, me and another girl used to go hitchhiking across the country. When we first went on our little adventure, it never even crossed our minds we might one day need some form of weapon on us for self-defense purposes. So, it was a long time before we got one, and this is a story of two instances before that time came, when we would have been in much better positions if we had one. The first one was in Pueblo, Colorado. We were sitting at a gas station contemplating walking up the highway when some random guy told us that he couldn't really take us anywhere, but if we were willing to cook, he'd take us home with him and feed us and let us shower, etc. And while an offer like this may be a red flag for most people, this was well into our time hitchhiking and was a common occurrence, so we agreed. Something we ended up discovering throughout our adventure was that people that didn't converse much were the ones you should probably be worried about the most. This guy didn't really say hardly anything all the way there, and there was deep into the wilderness in the middle of the mountainous somewhere. And if you are familiar with where Pueblo is, you'd know the mountains are pretty far away from there. So we were already getting the creeps, just knowing how far from civilization we were headed. We finally get there, and the guy is giving us both a weird feeling. It's very off and just feels evil. We agree it is not a good idea to stay. So in less than five minutes after arriving at this middle-of-nowhere cabin in the woods, we tell him we've changed our minds and want to leave. He seems truly irritated but agrees to take us back after some back and forth. By this time, we of course have obviously no clue where we are or which direction is which, and we are both getting worried. And as we venture out into the woods again, we begin discussing with one another the fact that it feels like it's taking a lot longer to get back than it did to get there. And we both begin to wonder if we are actually going back or if maybe we're going further into the wilderness. And to make it even worse, we have not spotted even one other vehicle passing us or heading the same direction the entire time. So, now, the conversation is going towards what we might be doing, and if he's leading us further into the woods to our demise. We both agree that there is at least two of us and only one of him, 
even if we are both beginning to panic and sweat. So, all we can do is pray and wait it out. And although it still is well over 20 years later, it feels like it was twice as long to return than it did to make it there. And eventually we did make it back to the gas station where we started. He both let us out and we went on our way. The second instant was just outside of Sacramento, California. We had been traveling with a big fat trucker that was also no conversationalist. Even as much as we tried prompting him to talk to us, he had little to nothing to say. We had been traveling in his truck for a few hours and we both had fallen asleep till I was abruptly awakened by my traveling companion. The truck stopped on the side of the highway and my friend was adamant about us exiting the vehicle immediately. I asked her why and what was wrong, and she told me she had been awakened by the trucker feeling her breast in her sleep. She said his exact words were, After all I've done for you, you can't let me cop a feel? So we got out of the truck, literally on the side of the highway somewhere in Sacramento, but we walked away unharmed, and almost completely unviolated. And amazingly enough, out of the nearly three years of hitchhiking cross-country together, those were the only two real times anything really scary happened to us, and it was the best time of my entire life to this day. Be careful when you're out there. There are a lot of bad people, but definitely don't be scared to live your life and have adventures. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true middle-of-nowhere horror stories. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'm always looking for all kinds of scary stories to share. If you enjoyed these stories in this episode, please be sure to give this video a like. The more likes it gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that's incredibly helpful to the swamp growing. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode, as I upload them nearly every single day, and all things natural and supernatural. If you're on the go, but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free. From Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Radio, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of all that, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool Swamp threads. If you didn't know, I now stream on Twitch twice a week. If you're looking for 8 to 12 hours of extra content every single week, and you're interested in me playing horror games and stuff like that, definitely check out the Twitch channel. There's a link to do so in the description. Don't forget to comment down below letting me know what story tonight was your favorite. The more comments we get, the easier it is for me to know what kind of stories you would like me to cover in the future. It's very helpful. Be sure to join me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.